Welcome to the Paranormal Roundup, where we look at how the mainstream media covered the world of paranormal this week. I am Spirited Kenny. Happy Bigfoot Day. Happy belated National Bigfoot Day, actually, is what I should be saying. I didn't even know there was a National Bigfoot Day until it was too late. I saw on Twitter the day after it was Bigfoot Day that it was Bigfoot Day, so I was a day late with that. It's a good thing we don't do this show every day or else I would have looked like a fool on National Bigfoot Day. But, of course, it is the day, October 20th, where Patterson Gimlin had their encounter with their Bigfoot in the woods, videotaped it, and or taped, yeah, it was a videotape, taped it, and brought it to the world's attention. Before then, no one's ever seen a Bigfoot before. Well, there's all, except for all the stories and all the lore and legends about Bigfoot, but before then, no one had actually seen the footage of a Bigfoot before, and so we spawned the world of the Bigfoot craze. The footage was in 1967, so ever since then, there's been this craze for Bigfoot videos, evidence of Bigfoot. There's always been the craze for evidence of Bigfoot. So we got a little bit of stories about that. We have some monster sightings, lake monster sightings, actually, from China to Canada. Also a Mothman sighting to get into. But there was a lot, and I mean a lot. The amount of paranormal investigators that were interviewed by the local media agencies, I thought was a lot last week. This week was a whole lot more, but there's some twists to the stories this week. Now they're giving tips and tricks on how to be a paranormal investigator. In fact, it's another class. I know a couple weeks ago, brought up that there was a class being taught at a university, but now out of another college, or university. There's another paranormal class that we'll get into. So we got a lot to get into this show. We're going to get right into it. Let's begin. So discovermagazine.com has this article, Why Your Brain Wants to Believe in Ghosts and the Supernatural. And this sort of follows up from that pop sci article we did a couple weeks ago, where Why Your Brain Wants to See Ghosts. Sci-fi, I think we also had an article uh, last week, the same sort of feel, Why Your Brain Actually Wants You to See Ghosts. So the Discover Magazine article goes like this. Belief in God may be declining, but ghosts and paranormal stories are alive and well. Here is why humans tend to believe in them. So already we can see where this is going. Uh, just because you have a, a belief in the paranormal, a belief in supernatural, a belief in ghosts, doesn't mean that you have a disbelief in God. I mean, I think the two should same, should share the same realm because you're, you're believing and something that you can't prove. If you believe in ghosts, a part of you should also believe in angels and demons and and uh, ghosts or gods. But it's a pretty heavy statement to start off the article with. Moving on, though. So they start off by retelling a ghost story or a ghost investigation that they looked into in the shopping mall in rural southern England. And uh, something made a large bang in the shopping mall. The store, however, appeared to be empty. There was a little explanation of what caused the noise. What Stevens didn't know was that the site was constructed on the ruins of a castle built in the 12th century by the Anglo-Saxons. Excavations of their surrounding towns have found tombstones and burial sites. And although Stevens has considered several possibilities, explaining that night will never know for sure, she says. And that is a very reasonable thing. When you go into a ghost hunt, quote-unquote ghost hunt or paranormal investigation or whatever you call yourself and you go into these malls and you go into these places where there is where there could be anything going on 
Just because you hear a large noise, something fall off a shelf, something bang, doesn't mean that it's ghosts. It's very reasonable to believe that it could be anything other than ghosts, ghouls, or goblins. It could be squirrels. It could be pressure changes. So this person is doing a very reasonable explain or very reasonable consideration in what they saw, what they heard that night. So the story goes on to say, more than four out of ten Americans believe in ghosts or demons exist according to the 2019 poll by YouGov. And we've seen this poll used by a lot of people to generate their own stories. So as a good, that, it's a good thing they're using the 2019 poll because they're using that, what, that one from like almost 10 years ago. What's the point? The article goes on to say, such beliefs are equally popular in Britain where people are more likely to believe in ghosts than a divine creator. That's pretty interesting actually, but it is easier to believe in ghosts than a divine creator especially when you're posing that question like do you believe in god i i think a lot of people personally wouldn't be open to just answering that on any sort of survey someone calls you with a survey like hey do you believe in god you're gonna be like no that's your that's your own personal belief i guess it would be all how they define the question whether it was like an organized religious belief or something else but i digress the article really hammering this religious versus ghost uh, dichotomy quotes Chris French just like the PopSci article he believes experiences are often wrongly misinterpreted as paranormal due to the tendency bred into us through thousands of years of, of evolution to help keep us alive our brains almost seem pre-wired for what I would call wired belief so this is kind of talking about the God part of the brain, where we have a part of our brain where we need to believe in a greater organization, a greater power, so that we can find meaning in lives and in groups. Uh, French cites Daniel Kamen's theory that we have two ways of thinking, a reactionary thought process that comes to decisions quickly, but is sometimes flawed and a more accurate but slower process well of course there is two ways of thinking anytime that you've been in a room and someone slammed a book down in the middle of the room the first thing you do is look at it and assess the situation and then you see like hey that's my book what are you doing <laughs> throwing it on the ground there's always that sort of first reaction what's going on and then let's deal with the situation the article goes on to say consider a stone age man hearing a wrestling in the bushes he can either immediately assume it's a threat some kind of predator and get the hell out of there and survive another day or he can rely on system number two the slower and relent on evidence kind of approach and he may end up as lunch so if he takes his time trying to think about what he's seeing what he's hearing he might just end up as you know prey so this is definitely our perception of the world this is how we perceive things to to keep alive especially when you're out in the woods out in the unknown when you when you're in an environment where you don't know where you are you don't know what type of threats are out there especially as cavemen like they said back in the stone age when we are nomadic people living in uh, fields and caves and this sort of thing we didn't really know what was in them so if we were worried about everything we would survive longer we didn't survive that much longer but we would survive longer and at least be able to pass our traits down so we have a over sense of self-preservation you know where we're not as analytical 
when we first see a, a situation, we react first and then we think about it later. Moving on. There's also the paradelia effect, the tendency to recognize patterns or objects and things such as a face in the clouds or other examples. People are paradelioized into seeing ghosts and ghouls where they aren't. So we're just simply seeing ghosts and ghouls and patterns that aren't there, which I think is part of it. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, how many times on this channel do we look at photos from people that say they see UFOs in these clouds or they see a ghost in this picture over here or they see the face of a monk in this picture over here and it just looks like a bunch of nonsense. So there is a, a lot of that paradelia happening. But it is our nature. We are looking for patterns. We're looking for faces. We're looking for threats. It always happens. This is how we've been able to get on for so long. Uh, Stevens, once a believer in the paranormal, is now a skeptic. She spends most of her time debunking paranormal theories on her blog, Haley is a Ghost. Her posts explain how infrared sensors on camera phones bleach figures white and that the allegation, the alleged baby jumping over a car is actually a moth. Oh, I've never heard of the baby jumping over the car, but all right. Uh, the ghost flying around the table is in fact a fly. So she's not a, I believe I am, have the same mindset as her. Like it's better to be a skeptic than not. Uh, but I, I don't think she's a skeptic or a believer. I, like it's hard to label people that way. There's a spectrum, right? We need to sort of debunk things, but the term skeptic is so harsh, you know, like I'm a skeptic, I guess, but that's because there's no conclusion. There's no answer. We don't have proof of ghosts. We don't have proof of ghouls. We don't have proof of aliens. We're not, can't jump to conclusions. We have to look at the facts and see what they are. Just because we don't label things doesn't mean that we're skeptics. Prove it to us first. Haley is a ghost. Beautiful blog. Wonderful blog. Pretty blog. It's really nicely done. The articles are really good. Check it out. I will link to it. And this article is a fine article, but it it does label you in one category or another. You're either a skeptic or a believer. You either believe in ghosts or you believe in God, which is the exact wrong thing to do. There's a large spectrum of people all over the place. You can't have one category for half the people, another category for half the people. We need to realize that there's more than that out there. We don't even know what the categories are. To say that there's ghosts and ghouls and UFOs and aliens is completely inappropriate. We know that there's phenomenon happening. We know that there's bright lights. We know that there's bangs in the night. We know that there's squirrels out there knocking stuff over. We know that there are flies that get in pictures. We know that there's orbs in cameras, uh, but we are able, some things we're able to find out about. Like orbs is dust. Squirrels acting erratically is something else. But this, the article faults itself by just having, you're either a believer or you're not, which is not the right, right mindset to go into a lot of these stories with. But yeah, good article. Haley is a ghost is a, is a wonderful article. It's good to see that someone who was a blind believer, we'll say, realized that there is something not right about uh, the community and how things are presented and that you need to have a little bit of debunking. You need to have a little bit of analytical mind. You can't just blindly trust anything. If you're not going to blindly, you can't blindly trust anything. You don't just see a photo and say, oh, there's a ghost in that photo. You have to be like, oh, what's going on in this photo? What is this photo actually? Is it Photoshop? Is there more to it? 
you have to have that analytical mind to think about it, right? React one way, oh, this is a ghost. React one way, oh, this is a ghost. But then second thinking process, what is it really? Good article, Haley is a ghost, good website. We'll link to it, moving on. So the next article comes from Pop Culture. Ghost Nation stars Stephen Gonslave, David Tango share the do's and don'ts of paranormal investigating ahead of Halloween. And of course, this is the perfect time of year to learn the do's and don'ts of paranormal investigation. I wonder what they are. I mean, any media source could go to any paranormal investigator and they're going to give you the do's and don'ts of the paranormal investigation. We, this just isn't the only article we saw of this. They saw a couple articles of this. We're going to highlight some. The article starts. A lot of people, this time of year, they want to go just and have some fun and be somewhere that they think is haunted, Gonslave said in our series Pop Culture at Home. I mean, when I was younger, being in an abandoned asylum in two in the morning, there isn't more fun. Just isn't. But you can't trespass. You can't do that. You can't break into places. You can't mark things. <laughs> you can't take things. You can't do any of that because you're not helping the field. All right. So there you go. There's the do's and don'ts right there. You don't break in. You don't trespass. You don't mark things. You don't take things. But you just sit there in the middle of a abandoned asylum at 2 in the morning. Think about ghosts. The story goes on to say, you're really looking to get into this. You're doing a damage, you're doing a disservice to a field. So why would you do any of those things, he said. Don't trespass, don't do anything, and get permission. They're really getting on this get permission thing. Gonslave stress how it is crucial to uphold the integrity of ghost hunting and have respect, in addition to fun with friends during a paranormal hunt. <laughs> You need to respect everything. You can't mark things. You can't take things. You can't break into things. But you got to have fun. Have fun, of course, but respect what you're doing. And those who have died and been here before us, he told Pop Culture. Tango interjects that when it comes to trespassing properties, it's also about personal safety. You could hurt yourself. There's a safety issue there. You're going into places you've never been in before. It's most likely decrepit. You, you might fall into the floor and people have. They've hurt themselves. <laughs> so the do's and don'ts. It sounds like a bunch of don'ts. Don't trespass. <laughs> Don't make markings. Don't wreck the place. But have fun. That sounds like the same type of advice that my mom gave me before I went out trick-or-treating it's like don't walk into traffic don't do this don't go on the street don't eat any of the candy wait to bring it home but have fun right that's what <laughs> all these don't things don't 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 but have fun that sounds like a bunch of parents sending their kids out trick-or-treating all right we're gonna move on from that now this next one comes out of Lock Haven PA how to investigate a haunted house do you think your house may be haunted? Lockhaven Paranormal Seekers field lead Lou Bernard explains how to investigate. For me, it's all about the proof. It's not about what I think or theorize, though in all honesty, you'll hear me theorize plenty, Bernard said. However, it's what I can bring up 
and show you and prove it to you. And this guy is exactly on the right track. This is what we need to hear more of, is the people that say, hey, there are some things here. I don't know what they are, but there's no proof or there is proof. And that's what we need. We need to see proof of these things because that's what we need moving forward, right? The thing, the answer of it's ghosts or ghouls is inappropriate, right? Anyway, moving on. The seekers use a process of elimination to separate the normal from the paranormal. For example, if a homeowner complains about a door that mysteriously opens by itself, Bernard and his team will check to see if it's properly hung. If someone complains about strange noises, Bernard will ask if the home might be settling. I just picture someone complaining about a door that's that's swinging open and then they're like oh the door isn't hung properly and they're like well can you can you hang the door properly for us and there's just a bunch of paranormal investigators trying to hang the door properly so it doesn't open and of course that's what we're looking for we're looking for the mundane answers in this world of the paranormal investigator the supernatural investigator there's 95 percent of the time it's the mundane answers and that's about so hard to talk about people that are like well most of the time you get mundane answers and well, yes, there's a lot of mundane answers that you need to go through. But that 5% of the stories, these are the things that we need to talk about. How many four-leaf clovers are there? Not a lot. Like 1%, I don't even know how, how many it is. I'm just going to make it up. But you know there are four-leaf clovers because we have examples of four-leaf clovers. A whole bunch of three-leaf clovers, a lot. But there is some four-leaf clovers out there. So we're looking for the four-leaf clovers in the paranormal field. We're trying to figure out what makes them tick. The story goes on to say, Does someone die violently in a house? Violent young deaths are more likely to produce paranormal activity than, say, an elderly woman who died content in bed. Okay. And this is where we put on the blinders and we're coming up with stories, right? He said that he looks for proof. But then when there's just this random story of violent activity, all of a sudden now there's more sightings of ghosts. This is a problem. Narrow passages like hallways and stairwells also seem more apt to be haunted, Bernard says. The Lockhaven Paranormal Seekers use a variety of tools to investigate a haunting, including easily accessible public records. <laughs> have a list of things that they use for their paranormal hunts, like the city directories, obituary records, uh, digital recorders, digital thermostats, or digital thermometers, and non-conductive voltage meters. So let's just take a step back. And the paranormal investigator should be looking at the whole spectrum, not just lights in an alleyway or in a basement but it should be lights in the sky and in bogs and in houses there's similar things that happen knocks on the wall can be knocks in the woods there's a lot of similarities there's a lot of overlap to these stories and when you just are labeling yourself as i'm a ghost i'm a ghost detector i'm a paranormal hunter this is the problem we need to have more of a wide spectrum if you want to specialize in just one thing i think that's fine but i also think you shouldn't be closing yourself up to the phenomenon that is just bigger than just one part of it so maybe you're excited to be a paranormal hunter but you want a good solid education before you start your paranormal hunting 
Fox 13 out of Tampa Bay has this story. Anyone can be a Ghostbuster with Eckert's College Virtual Ghost Hunting 101 class. The story goes on. Have a curiosity for a paranormal or always want to join the Ghostbusters? You can get a little Ghost Hunting 101 with a new class from Eckerd College. The class is being taught virtually by a paranormal investigator, Dr. Brandy Stark, who is also a professor at Eckerd. Oh, that's pretty good. She'll teach proper protocol and explain how to use ghost hunting, uh, ghost hunting equipment, document evidence, and communicate with the entities. She'll also be sharing local paranormal history and lore. This is very cool. And I think this is the thing that I think is underappreciated the most about these paranormal investigations. And I think I, I underappreciate it the most, but a lot of these paranormal uh, investigators they do a great part of keeping local lore, local history alive. And that is what we need so much of nowadays is the recording of local history, the tales of local history. This is what people are missing from their lives. And these are the storytellers. These are the modern day storytellers that we should be looking to because these people are storytellers. They come in, they can go into a house and they tell you this fantastic story about a gruesome murder that happened there. And they make it pleasant and they make it an entertaining night. So there is this storytelling aspect to it. We're going to talk about what a ghost is. How do they know there's a ghost there? And uh, then we're going to talk about how to register a ghost. How to register a ghost? Is there like a registry? Uh, do you? I guess that's why you take the course. You learn how to register it. Do you utilize temperature or do you utilize electromagnetic fields? So this little video gives like a short little presentation about her theories, her tools, and how to get a kit and how to use your kit and equipment properly. And she's like, get familiar with kit, learn how to use it properly. But the problem is, and this is as someone who's been trained scientifically, the problem with these kits is you get this tape, you get like your electrometer or your flashlight or whatever it is. We'll call it, what? we'll, we'll go from Ghostbusters. We'll just use the spectator detector. You sort of get that. And what you need to do for any sort of scientific calibration of any sort of equipment, you need to have your knowings that you test it with. So what you do is you take your piece of equipment and you stick it in your knowing and they would come with a reading that said, yep, there's a ghost there. And you'd be like, all right, there's a ghost there. And you set the engine thing. And then you take your equipment and you stick it in an area where there's no ghost. And the reading would come back, no ghost. The problem is with this equipment is that you don't know how to standardize it for that. You don't know where there's a ghost. You don't have like a ghost in a jar where you can stick the equipment in and go, all right, our ghost is reading. It's picking up at 10. That's 10 ghost meters. And then you have a jar with no ghost in it. And you put the spirit, the specter detector in there. And there's no ghost in there. So this is the problem with equipment that people use in these ghost hunts is that there's no real way to calibrate it. They have energy spikes, they have this and that. That could just be anomalous with the equipment. That could be why there's certain pieces of equipment that are so popular with the paranormal supernatural field because they are faulty and they do have these faults in it. That's why certain pieces of recorders are better for EVPs or not because they come up with these crazy sounds. You know, when you got to play these sounds backwards and slow it down and speed it up to come up with these sentences, you're going to, it's like paradelia where you see faces or you hear voices. You want to hear something there. You're straining to hear something. And when you hear a bunch of static and then someone say, oh, it's saying, you know, show me a banana. Well, you're going to hear, show me a banana 95% of the time. 
It's like the it's like the blue dress or gold dress. You know, whatever your friend says is probably what you're going to say. Whatever device you saw it on is going to be what you say you saw it, the color on. So yeah, so we got to look for how to properly calibrate this equipment. And there's really no... I could tell you about scales and how to calibrate a scale. And it's so sensitive, the calibration of these, the scale that I had to do. It's just phenomenal. And we're just whipping out these lights and these IR detectors. And I don't even know what else, the electro detector. And we're like, oh, yeah, there's ghosts in this corner. So, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot more to it than just that just buying equipment off the internet that you think is going to work pop it out of the box pop in some batteries here we go now there's been lots of stories like i said about paranormal investigators local 12 out of cincinnati ohio paranormal investigation to start at arnold bar and grill now this is my type of paranormal investigation group starting out at a bar what a great idea now cincinnati wkrc that's almost wkrp but the story goes on. Is Arnold's Bar and Grill really haunted? Now, according to the owner, people have been saying this for years. Now's your chance to find out for yourself. For the first time ever, Arnold's is opening their doors to overnight public paranormal investigators. They have teamed up with Cornerstone Paranormal, a ghost hunting group, to lead through the haunt. Now, this is really cool that you can go to a bar and search for paranormal activity. Honestly, people, the story goes on to say, honestly, people have been asking us to do this for years. And with COVID-19 closing us early, we figured, why not do it? Oh, this is an amazing idea. The crisis creates an opportunity to look for ghosts in a very old place in America that has a very suspect past. But yeah, this is awesome. It's good to see that people are trying to find ways to make money in uh, these crazy crisis times. And hopefully they keep it up even after, um, maybe even after the crisis, you know, gets solved. For four nights this October, they'll be allowing 14 people near, per night to go through a four-hour ghost hunt. That really doesn't sound like it's that much fun. No alcohol will be served during this investigation. Ah, nuts. It, it sounded like it, it started off really good. Starting your bar hunt off at a bar, or starting a ghost hunt off at a bar, sounds just amazing. Anyone deemed impaired will not be allowed to participate. Ah, oh, that sucks too. Um, what happens if you start to get possessed? <laughs> like, I was possessed by a demon. I wasn't drunk. Yeah, I got out of here. So, why is this spot? Why do people think this is a hot spot is this question. Arnold has been a tavern for over 150 years and holds the title as the oldest bar in Cincinnati. The establishment was first opened in 1838 by Sue, Fa by Sue Fawcett, who ran it as a whorehouse. Hmm. <laughs> According to Cincinnati historian Mike Morgan, in 1861, the new owner, Simon Arnold, operated as a bar and lived upstairs. Arnold the family operated as a bar through for 98 years and three generations until 1959 when Elmer Arnold sold it to former professional wrestler and mob collector <laughs> Jimmy C., also lived upstairs now it probably was a really good idea that you sold it to jimmy c yeah how would i buy this bar from you whatever you say so that's a nice article oh, finding some solutions solutions in a trying time you know trying to find a way to make some more money uh, having more investigations especially in an old bar 
150 years old, super cool. 40 bucks a night though, no alcohol. I mean, I'm not, oh my gosh, good luck. So happy belated National Bigfoot Day and it was National Bigfoot Day on October 20th. And it was the anniversary of the encounter Patterson Gimlin had with their Bigfoot on 1967 very cool it's very cool that they have a national celebration day for that i think like although it is very suspect the footage and the people are very suspect in the whole thing and this is sort of why we say that this community our modern history was built by charlatans because it does look a lot like that footage was built by charlatans they built that on the legends of lore of people around them so there are more stories than just theirs that support that there is something to this Bigfoot phenomenon. Unfortunately, that is one of the most popular videos ever of Bigfoot. And every, everyone's Bigfoot from then on looked like that Bigfoot. Especially his feet. Or her feet, sorry. Now, the Bigfoot Crossroads of America Museum and Research Center is announcing that the date, October 20th, 2020, has officially been proclaimed Bigfoot Crossroads of Nebraska Day by Governor Pete Ricketts and the state of Nebraska. Also, Harriet McFleely has officially been announced Nebraska's Bigfoot Lady and her partner Kenny Collins has officially been announced Nebraska's Bigfoot Guy. <laughs> I don't even know if you want to be called the Bigfoot Lady. That's not really an honor to be called a Bigfoot Lady as a woman. I don't, I'm not a woman, but as a woman, would you like to be called Nebraska's National Bigfoot Lady? I'm not, I'm not thinking that's not the coolest thing to be called. But, hey, if they dig it, that's awesome. Good for them. Harriet and her museum were published in the Virgin Airlines in-flight magazine for six weeks and was placed in every plane of their airline fleet. Recently, the Bigfoot Museum was voted as one of the top three tourist attractions in Nebraska by German Public Broadcasting. Well, right on. Well, happy belated National Bigfoot Day to them and happy Nebraska Bigfoot Lady Award and happy Nebraska Bigfoot Guy Award to Harriet and Kenny. That's very cool. But I, I would want to know how they picked Nebraska Bigfoot Lady Award. Like, what are the categories they go for? Like, log tossing? <laughs> How big your feet are? Do they have to measure your feet? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I don't even want to go. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna move on to a couple more um, Bigfoot stories. This one out of the Moose 92, Central Maine's number one hit music station. Four convincing Bigfoot encounters by hunters in North Minnesota. Did you know that St. Louis County has most Bigfoot sightings in Minnesota? It would make sense as it's a big county and offers plenty of wilderness. The sightings are record, recorded by Bigfoot Field Research Organization. The sightings are followed up by a volunteer investigators who try to rule out other possibilities to give legitimacy to the sightings. So they got a couple different sightings here. We're going to read just one, as we usually do. Now on November 90. 1997, near Floodwood, Minnesota, according to this account, a hunter heard something clumsily walking through the woods. By the sounds of snapping branches, he figured it must be a bear. The witness then reports seeing what looked like a gorilla, Jesus, uh, standing two legs and thick long hair 
It let out a strange, unrecognizable howl, and then ran quickly in the opposite direction. The hunters then quickly left the woods and hasn't been seen since. Wow, oh my god. So imagine this, you're in the woods, and you're doing your hunting thing, just walking through it, and all of a sudden you hear these snapping twigs and branches, and it's heavy. You know, I've been in the woods, I've been on my hiking adventures, and you hear a squirrel or something like that in the fall time, it sounds pretty loud. I can imagine what a bear would sound like, just clumsily stumping through, pushing down little trees, you know, not giving a care, and then seeing a gorilla-type creature in Minnesota. So maybe... Like, I, they're saying it's a hunter. They heard it. I'm assuming they would know what a bear sent on two feet would look like. So, but again, there's no proof. There's just this record of it. And it's weird how they say the hunter hasn't been seen since then. Well, how did you get this report? Is there a big question? Why would they add that at the end? It's, it's a very odd way to end the report. And the hunter was never seen from again. So you can't ask him any more questions about where he saw it and what he was doing out there. So, not very compelling. If that's the best evidence we have for Bigfoot sightings, I mean, oh man, the BFRO needs some help. Well, yeah, it's a nice story. They're paying tribute to Bigfoot on National Bigfoot Day, so keep it coming. Now, Cat Country 107.3 has this story, and they paid a little bit more respect to the phenomenon this week than they did last week. They weren't really making fun of the people that were witnessing UFOs. Are there Bigfoot families living in Pines Barren? Eric Spinner, a local South Jersey Bigfoot researcher who was recently interviewed by Eric Mindel, a Pennsylvanian who studies Bigfoots and everything weird and paranormal when he's not playing jazz music. Mindel recently interviewed Spinner about recent South Jersey Bigfoot encounters, including some juvenile Bigfoots. Now, it seems like Eric Mindel has the right idea to investigate multiple things. He has this YouTube channel called Bucks County Paranormal Investigations. And I was sort of looking at it. I subscribed to it. And it looks like a very cool site. I can't wait to binge some articles to see if he actually gets the idea that there is more to this phenomenon than just the siloed, you know, Bigfoots, ghosts and goblins, and ghouls, and UFOs. So we're definitely going to try to check it out. But yeah, I, I recommend this. Eric Mendel, it seems like he knows exactly what's going on. He was, when he was interviewing Eric Spindler, nice, respectful. They understood each other. They had a good time. Uh, yeah, great YouTube channel. I can't wait to check out more of it. But yeah, just a cat country 103, 107.3. Kind of, kind of got me back, you know, kind of got me back. You believe in Bigfoot over aliens, they might be the same thing. We don't know. But we're going to move on from that one. But yeah, won me over and a brand new YouTube channel. I can't wait to binge. This is great. So our next story comes from the Journey Gazette and Times Courier, and this is out of Manitou, Illinois. And of course, Manitou was the site of the Madagascar attacks of the 1940s. And if you don't know what the Madagascar attacks of the 1940s, here's just a little snippet from Wikipedia. During the mid-1940s, more than two dozen separate cases of gassings were reported to police over the span of two weeks. In addition to many more reported sightings of the suspect, the gassers' supposed victims were reported smelling strange odors in their homes, which were soon followed by symptoms such as paralysis of the legs, coughing, nausea and vomiting. No one died or had serious medical consequences. So this is this random, just like a, this really random attacks that happened in Manitou 
in the mid 1940s. Pretty cool. Uh, check it out. There's more. There's lots on it. But when I saw Manitou, Illinois, I'm like, there's something that I'm supposed to know about this place. And yeah, the Mad Gasser attacks the Manitou. It's really interesting times. But they had this story. Ashmore Estates to be featured on YouTube Paranormal Investigation Series. Now, this is what we're seeing a lot of nowadays is people are starting their own paranormal investigation series on YouTube. You know, they, they see how it's done. It doesn't take that much work to make a paranormal investigation series. They all have pretty much are the same sort of format where you see the team, team of three, team of four, walking up to the house. They walk up to the house. They walk into the house without even knocking on the door. They start interviewing the people of the house, you know, it's history. So these are what we have. And like I said, these are great ways to preserve modern history, but it is no way to actually perform any sort of investigation. When you go into a house that you think is haunted by ghosts, by demons or whatever, you're already putting on that blinder to what it could be. But let's move on with the story. Long thought by some to be the spectral home of those who lived and died, Ashmore Estates has drawn the attention of a team of investigators who decided to add the Midwest to their exploration of paranormal. The crew of YouTube online series Haunt Me found the century-old ruin Coles County building interesting for its haunted reputation and its history as well. We are more most interested in intriguing history, show crew and cast member Ty said, it used to scare us, but now there's a real power in understanding it. Well, if you get scared easy of ghosts, maybe you shouldn't be doing any sort of ghost hunting or paranormal hunting. Ashmore State's owner, Robin Terrier, contacted the show, which helped lead to what Gowan described as a fast-paced one-week trip to the Midwest that also included sites in Liberty, Missouri and Middleton, Ohio. They spent the night of August 22nd at Ashmore Estates ready to investigate and learn more about the location that had a history like the opening of a horror movie, he said. Oh my gosh. See, the, the impression has already been imprinted on this investigation. It's already a terrifying place. Let's go investigate it because there's going to be lots of angry spirits there. Now, it's primarily used for per- paranormal investigations. Oh my god. So, get this. So this person has this building that they use it just for paranormal investigations. And they came out and they contacted the YouTube channel to be like, come perform a paranormal investigation here. Like everything's set up for them to find things. With investigators often motivated by stories such as that of the deadly fire in the building, Gowan said they used a bunch of different tactics at Ashmore's estate, which resulted in including hearing of footsteps and seeing a piece of equipment knocked off its stand. Interesting. It appeared to be what is called a K2 anomaly. A K2 an- we have a K2 anomaly here. Oh my god. <laughs> this is ridiculous. An electromagnetic surge when a spirit tries to manifest itself like someone trying to contact us. We need healthy skeptics to keep us honest. Yeah, you do need healthy skeptics to keep you honest. A K2 anomaly? Uh, Keep pushing us for more concrete evidence. Yeah, you don't have any concrete evidence. I haven't seen anything so far on this website. Uh, Sometimes what sounds like a noise from a rusted pipe ends up being just that. Yes, a mundane answer. These are the mundane answers that we are looking for. 
Uh, but he goes on to say in the article, we're trying to weed away any what can be expected or explained. So this is like your standard piece of paranormal investigation show. Again, like we said, the story's there, the shots of the house is there. You know, oh, look at all these spooky things that happened in this house history. You know, people have died here. There's been murders here. This has been the place where, whatever it is, right? So already you have that um, preconceived notion that this place is haunted by these tormented spirits. So they introduce themselves. There's always that low light green footage of them working in the dark for whatever reason. Ghosts can only come out in the dark. Uh, I can't believe how many like how formulaic these shows are that they can just put it up on YouTube. It's good that they're doing it. Great production value. Again, it's a great way to explore the modern history of these buildings and the, of, of hold it. And like, if you put these stories on YouTube, they live forever. So it's great that we have this modern history on YouTube. Uh, we're going to move on from there though. And this story isn't much better. Uh, Fox News is promising, or they're promoting, their new series monsters across america now what monsters across america is it's like a docu-series where casey mcdonald goes to different places in america to look for uh the monsters of that town so they're looking for like sea like sea monsters lake monsters skunk ape um there's a little interview she does here with the fox news person i don't know i haven't seen anything like this before but we we don't need celebrities looking for monsters if they want it it's a great way again to explore the history of a place to tell a tale but there's no way that we should be using celebrities like this to go look for these things it's just a nonsensical thing to do if you actually want to do real research and maybe it's a fun thing for her to do and maybe it exposes new people to the media but there's so much of that i think we're i think we're past that but maybe that's just me because I'm past it. I'm past these celebrities doing these shows. You know, if Joe Rogan couldn't find anything, who's going to find anything? This Fox News anchor. It's a wasted piece of energy because as someone that works at Fox News, she could have done some real digging. She could have done some real research into this thing. She could have went to a place, spent months there looking just at the skunk ape and using her Fox News ties to really delve into what the skunk ape is, the history of the skunk ape. Is there actually anything really to it? But these one shot, like 45 minutes in one location, celebrity look for monster shows, there's nothing to that. No, Bigfoot isn't waiting for the 4K camera crew to go in there and take a video of them. UFOs aren't waiting for their the high res definition video for them to come down. It's it's simply ridiculous. I guess it's a fun thing if you want to get into it. If you're like, oh, spooky paranormal stuff, let's watch it on Fox News. But I don't know. It's a little bit silly. Putting pretty people in dangerous situations. Yeah, okay. We're going to move on. Now, AMKOEL 950, News Egg, Best in Country. They continue their best of their Iowa Monster Series. Monster Turtle of Big Blue. And the story goes like this. Have you ever heard of the monster turtle a big blue and it goes no <laughs> yeah I, I haven't heard of it either well now you have the story goes like this uh there's a there's a 30 or 40 foot deep lake near mason city there's a huge snapping turtle that resides there when i say huge i mean huge i mean 
it wouldn't be considered a monster if it weren't some regular sized turtle, right? This turtle is so big that it has to be in, that it has been reported to be the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. The monster turtle, as it's called, has been seen by fishers and swimmers at the Big Blue Pond in Clear Lake State Park. However, this turtle has not only been seen, but also dangerous. Okay, I think they mean this also is also dangerous. There have been reports from swimmers that the enormous jaws of the monster have tried to eat them. The strange thing, Clear Lake State Park officials have reported that there is no evidence that supports that these claims are true. <laughs> of course, officials denying that there's a big turtle in this lake, that there's no turtles. That being said, the locals still claim the legend exists. All right, this is a garbage article. They're really running low on the Iowa monsters. I thought things were going pretty good, but this one's the lowest. What did they just say? They just said that there's a monster turtle in a lake. That is it. There's no proof. <laughs> just, just locals say, ah, there's a turtle in there. No officials say there's a turtle there, but just locals. All right. There's not even like a story. This is like a cheap, lazy story. There's not even like a story of what happened. This one time there's a swimmer in the water and they got the leg bitten off by the turtle. You know, they got drug. There's not even like a got drug under story. Nothing like that. Oh my God. Lame story. Moving on. Now our next story comes from the MEAWW. Now what is the MEAWW ask? It is one of the world's fastest growing entertainment news companies with offices in the US and India. We bring you the best content from the global streaming industry and Hollywood through our team of talent reporters and contributors. Up-to-date news on entertainment industry, exclusive interviews and in-depth features about trendiest streaming shows, box office hits, and stars to sleeper winners that you'll really have to follow. With a social media following of excess of 15 million across US, Canada, UK, and worldwide. So there you go. That's what the, I don't even know what that means to be honest, but M-E-A-W-W, they seem to be kicking it. They have this little story, the Mothman legacy, how a West Virginia myth came to be and what made it so popular. And the story goes like this, America loves its monsters and there's no better time of the year than during Halloween to revisit some of the country's best legends and spooky stories. It is at this perfect time that filmmaker Seth Breedlove, yeah, yeah, Seth, who deals exclusively with monsters, the Minerva monster, Terror of the Skies, and On the Trail of Bigfoot, comes with a sequel to his 2017 documentary, The Mothman of Point Pleasant. Now this guy does excellent work. Small Town Monsters is his production company. It's like all like homemade stuff pretty much not like the production quality is way better than homemade but like it's a passion project you can tell that right away his work is unbelievable i love watching it it's on prime i watch it all the time the moth will go on with the story the mothman legacy is out on video on demand on october 20th produced by breed loves small town monsters and distributed by 1091 pictures the documentary delves into the origins of the mothman legend and the impact it has had on the people of point pleasant now the article goes into the 1967 sighting and like i'm reading the book right now with hopes of maybe making a type of video about the book i don't know what yet but the original mothman prophecies by jeff keel so we'll get more into uh, what the mothman is and point pleasant later on 
But yeah, it, I look forward to seeing this. I tried to find it on uh, Amazon Prime, but I could not find it. So I'll just wait for Small Town Monsters to come somewhere where I can stream it. The trailer looks amazing. I look forward to watching it. We would not. Small Town Monsters, though, is definitely you need to check it out. If you haven't seen anything they've done, just go to Amazon Prime, type in Small Town Monsters, and you have a list of things to check out. Now, we're going to stay in the same vein of Mothman, an Illinois woman terrified after spotting a giant red-eyed creature. And this comes from Q98.5, Rockford's number one new country. It goes on like this. As if 2020 wasn't crazy enough, a woman swears she spotted a massive ring creature which charged at her while screaming a nightmarish noise before flying away. <laughs> they have a picture of a mothman there. So you know to think that it is a mothman. And a mothman is a very unique creature, you know, because it has the red, the large red eyes, the human-like legs, and its wings come out of its arms that come out of its head type deal. So the story goes like this. Let it be known, I'm not a UFO person. All right, this is good. Laying your bias out right before us. This is great. Can't wait to see what's happening more. I don't think I believe in aliens per se, but I am not arguing against the idea of them. We are a speck of dust in a scheme of things when you're considering how big the universe is. All right, all right. Let's get going on with this story. Uh, the website... The Singular 14 Society investigates paranormal and other strange instances and welcome stories from who wish to share. This story specifically gave me chills. Like, I appreciate this guy. He's looking into the phenomenon in a curiosity way, which should be encouraged. But I, I don't understand. I don't understand why people need to read and write articles and be like, well, I'm not for this, but here, let's talk about it. But let's get on with this story. It takes place in a parking lot near O'Hare International Airport where a USPS certain facility employee who was walking to her car between shifts after helping their transition from one shift to another. This is an important point because in her words, she should have been the only person in that particular parking lot at that moment. However, she claims she was not alone. Why is it every dark parking lot makes you feel like you're about to be the focal point of a horror film <laughs> i don't know i don't feel that way but all right we're going to move on this unidentified woman recounts her story with frightening detail she said she was walking in her car just before midnight while looking at her phone out of her peripheral she noticed a tall man with a large coat in the distance it wasn't until she unlocked her car that the vehicle's headlights turning on and she noticed a little more detail the person in her words was actually a large winged seven foot tall red-eyed creature this is when i would have <laughs> he says this is when i would have pooed <laughs> so that get this she's walking to her car she's looking at her phone midnight dark coat no one else is in the parking lot which i think is an important point no one else is in the parking lot she looked she saw something what she thought was a man she got into her car she started it up this thing then started making some type of chirping sound almost half chirp half click like someone was clicking their tongues but much faster it then made some type of screeching sound and took off running towards me i got within 10 feet of me and it took off 
into the night and flew above me. So this is kind of interesting where she saw something out of the corner of her eye. She thought it was a large man. And then it wasn't until she turned on her car. And you would have to think that when you turn on your car, modern day cars, always the headlights turn on. Maybe this was a bird. Maybe this was an animal in the parking lot. It could have been an owl in the parking lot that when you turned on the when you turned on the headlights, you interrupted it and its hunting procedures. And it got angry and flew away. Um, story goes on to say, she goes on to explain she took off like a bat out of hell and hurried home to her husband, who also works at the USPS starting facility. After she shared this incident with her husband, he told her as similar stories have been shared pertaining to what she saw in the exact parking lot. So there's multiple witnesses to something in that parking lot. So that reminds me of a territorial owl or something like that, a bird that is territorial. And have you seen how territorial birds can be? You would totally understand how this could be it. They wait for everyone to leave the parking lot. They start doing their hunting. Owls would start doing their hunting. If someone came out, turned on the car, and interrupted what they were doing, they would be angry and they'd swoop down and see it. So I'm going to have to say it's probably an owl. But yeah, multiple witnesses is what we like to see. But yeah, we got to keep on looking. There is a lot more Mothman tales out there. There's lots going on in Chicago right now. So we do need to keep our eyes open for Mothman stories. Move in on. I feel like we have a good pace in this show. I think we're doing really good. I think we're going to be able to get all the stories I want to get. Where did the legend of werewolf begin? And was there any truth to it? Now, travel. The travel is just an amazing website. I can't believe how many stories we get from it, to be quite honest. And this is another one. A great story about the legend of werewolf and where it began. And it's a quite lengthy article, so I'm not going to get into too, too much of it. But let's just start with the beginning. The legend of werewolf is actually quite prevalent throughout history and can be traced all the way back to early Greek mythology. This means they are more prevalent than the closely related mythical lore behind the vampires which is relative to new creatures when you compare them to Lycan. While werewolves have been made popular in both literature and film, there are many really accounts behind the stories inspired by these hideous violent beasts who were said to have been slain by humans. And it goes into one story. It goes into a bunch, like the, the Greek mythos and the term Lycan. And it goes into some Nordic tales. But this is the story that I really want to uh, talk about. During the 16th century, the story went that Peter Stubb, the man in question, went on a killing spree in the middle of the night in Bedburg, Germany, sending the entire town into a frantic frenzy of fear. When Stubb was finally cornered, it is said that the hunters who cornered him actually bore witness to him transformation, after which he confessed to doing everything that was suspected of him, and, by extension, a typical werewolf. He claimed his power came from a belt that he was never actually found, therefore never confirmed. Many believe that Stubb was merely a scapegoat for a political game, but there is no denying that similarities to the Salem witch trials. Even the mere thought of a werewolf on the loose was enough to drive up the paranoia and fear. So yeah, the, the, the travel, what an amazing website, another amazing story, another killer article. Very interesting, very well researched. 
It does remind me, of course, of the movie uh, or the documentary coming out about Monster Squad. Wolfman has Nards. Wolfman's got Nards. Slated for release October 27th. So I'm still looking forward to that movie. And that sort of article reminded me of it. Great. Great article. Now, sfgate.com has a story that I thought would be stories that we would see on the travel.com. The headline is, Is Disneyland Haunted? And it talks about a ghost tour in Disneyland. And it turns out that there's, well, you spend a lot of money on this ghost tour. And there is a lot of evidence towards the idea that Disneyland could be haunted. We'll go a third of the way down. Another former cast member, Daryl, has two ghost stories. The first one, he says, is about Walt Disney's love for trains. And in particular, this Disneyland railroad that circles the park. The train command center has a board that shows where the trains are on the track, he says. Late at night, in the far corner, a train would show up on the board and the whistle would blow, even though there was no train. <laughs> so, so is Walt out there riding the train? There's some other stories they talk about too, uh, but they bring in Amy Burney, a paranormal investigator who co-hosts Kindred Spirits on Travel Channel. And she says, the train though, she finds harder to explain, having once encountered a ghost train of her own. In an episode of Kindred Spirits, we were stuck. We were on a track where no trains were running at the time of year. And all of a sudden, for no reason at all, the train crossing signals went off as though they were one approaching. We'll never know without investigating that particular train at Disney, she adds, pointing out that it's very hard to truly evaluate paranormal claims without witnessing them in person but that's the real interesting see and again this is what we have to see is that we need to be able to show these phenomenons where they are it's like bears right if we didn't know bears existed we would have to prove where bears were first before we could claim they existed we'd be like all right bears live in these caves nope they go away we would think that bears uh disappeared in the wintertime because we wouldn't see them but we, there is proof that we have bears. No, bears exist. No, we know where they poo. We have lots of physical evidence of bears. Sort of last little end of the story. Guests claim to see ghosts all the time, especially of Walt Disney himself. One amateur paranormal investigator who asked to remain nameless to avoid getting caught as a cast to avoid getting a cast member in trouble, said she was once at the park after hours when she saw something in Fantasyland. We saw a man standing just outside the castle on a drawbridge. He smiled and waved. She says, recognizing him as Walt. Oh my gosh. He stayed for about 20 seconds and then slowly disappeared. It was the second time the cast member's friend who had let her in the park after hours had seen Walt Disney at the park. Now, again, I don't... Uh, Disneyland is such a weird place, right? Because it is so full of weird sort of shapes and colors and it's not built like any other place in the world it is built to be like a fantasy world so i can see how you're i can see how people's brains would be firing off all these different signals you've seen all these different patterns you know the ghost story i mean it's a pretty good article it's a long article it's a really good article uh there's no proof of ghosts though here but i do think you know there's a lot of mixture of emotions from happy to sadness to 
to uh, frantic energy, creative energy, all being pushed into one area. So if there is a place that, you know, people's brains can have, um, people might be influenced, people's perception might be influenced by the energy around them and the heightened sense of strain from all the stress of happy, sad, angry, fanatic uh, energy around them. You know, maybe it could do something. Maybe the mix of emotions makes it easier to see these things. But yeah, it's a good it's a good long article. There's lots of good stories in it. Go check it out. I never thought I would see that in SF Gate, to be honest. Moving on. So I want to travel to Disneyland. It's not one of the places I would want to go to if I had a choice of places to go to. But this next location actually would be on my list of things to check out. The Mark Twain House. And the article goes like this. Why TV's Ghost Hunters series have made multiple visits to CT's Mark Twain's house. The Mark Twain House has already is already one of Connecticut's best-known attractions before TV crews from TV's Ghost Hunters visit it. Reports of paranormal activity, including sightings of a lady in white, have led to multiple investigations inside Hartford's Residence Museum. And then, there's the smell of cig- cigarette smoke. There's a lady in white, as well as one in black, who both made appearances and may be mentioned on the graveyard shift tours, said Bellinger, one of the guides. Tours run Friday, Friday to Saturday, and occasionally on Thursday. Now, the graveyard shift tours are not a haunted hayride, but rather a look at a spiritualist movement of the late 1800s and early 1900s, which Twain and his family often came in contact with, including attending seances and performing with mediums of the day. After the first time we were featured on Ghost Hunters, we started giving the graveyard shift tours. They were so popular, we started giving them year-round. It was, fast, it was fascinating to speak with people who want to come and experience them. Earlier in the summer, in 2010, I spoke with a gentleman named John, who was not a believer, but I was scheduling a family vacation for his wife and son to visit the site of the ghost hunters had investigated. It's no secret, Twain was interested in supernatural, a subject discussed on the tour, Ballinger said. He often spoke of the power of the mind and told a story about the death of his younger brother and his own experience related to that horrible incident. Twain's own mother talked about how her son was born on 1835 with Halley's Comet in the sky, and although he was born sickly, the comet was an omen he would do great things. As Halley's Comet returned in 1910, Twain spoke of the return and how it was uh, destined to leave the world as it passed. He died on April 21st, 1910, with Halley's Comet in the night sky. Hmm. Now, of course, any writer worth their weight in salt is going to want to check out the Twain house. And if they hear that it's haunted, they're going to want to check it out even more. Even the writers on these ghost shows, they're going to be like, oh my God, we can go check out the Twain house. That's absolutely what they're going to do with it. So we're sort of in this um, modern history legends of lore kind of part so we're next story comes from the virginia pilot and we're going to talk about john bradford the second rectory of trinity episcopal church in portland now john was a scotsman by birth he was ordained in london in 1772 and during one of his pastoral visits to norfolk county reverend 
Brayfoot came home late one dark night and his horse stopped suddenly on the road. Right in front of him was an apparition. This apparition spoke to him, telling him on the following February 6th, he would die. Oh my gosh. At his house. Afterwards, the apparition quickly disappeared. This prophecy was immediately told to his wife. Well, yeah, I guess so. On three or four occasions while traveling the dark roads of Norfolk County, the apparition appeared, again telling him, you will be dead on February 6th. The <laughs> spirit is like totally trolling him. As the fateful day approached, his wife decided to have a small gathering of friends to divert his husband's mind of the eerie predictions. While Mrs. Bradford was preparing dinners, the good reverend decided to lay down. When the dinner was ready, Miss Bradford went home, <laughs> went to the bedroom and found her husband dead. Oh my God. There is no signs of violence. The prophecy had come true. The date was February 6th, 1784. So right away, I'm thinking, why were you at home? I would have left. I would not, would not have been home on February 6th. I would have went on vacation somewhere. I would have been sleeping outside because the spirit said you're going to die at home on February 6th. I'm going to get out of there. This is very similar to that old Irish tale we talked about last week where the brother and sister made the pack. If one of them died first, that they would go talk to the other person. So the brother died, came back after death, talked to the sister, told her when she was going to die. So she went on living and then she eventually had a birthday party a year after the date. I think uh, her brother said she was going to die at 47. She lived 47 in fear. She had a big party on her 48th birthday party. The priest came and was like, happy 47th birthday party. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh yeah, I guess there's an air on the records. You're actually 47 today. And then she died that night during the party. So we see this very similar thing where there's um, an apparition warning someone of their death and them dying at their party. Very cool. Very interesting. We're going to move on from that one though. Now, this time of year, there is a lot of stories of towns, of locations in towns, of locations in cities where there's haunted activity, paranormal activity going on. And a lot of newspapers feel it is time to share the history of these places. So this comes out of Idaho. There have long been rumors of ghosts in the Idaho. Curtains are said to flap with no breeze. Doors open on their own. Locks come unlocked, and moans are said to emanate from the elevator shaft. The latter may be due to the age of the contraption, the oldest elevator in Idaho, or the moans could simply be becoming from the residents who find the lift inoperable again. Oh, shut it down. <laughs> it's that old, and we don't trust it. Shut it down. I'm definitely taking the stairs in this place. The story goes on to say, there have been some sensational deaths in the hotel, in the early 1900s, a man stabbed his wife to death with a pair of scissors, Jesus, and buried her beneath the basement floor. Oh my God. A bellboy was allegedly shot by a guest in the hotel room in the 1970s. A guest later died of suicide in the Idaho. Oh my God. But this story goes back to 1921. A man named Jacobs rented a room there. So this is really weird. Mr. Jacobs is already checked in the hotel. He called it at 1 a.m. and asked if he had rented a room there. At 3 a.m., Jacobs called his wife in Cooney. Then at 5 a.m., another call came in 
from Nampa. If Mr. Jacobs leaves the hotel or tries to leave, call 391-J1 at Namba immediately, the caller pleaded. It was at about 5.15 a.m. when two witnesses, walking on the sidewalk in front of the Idaho, on their way to work, heard a noise as if someone were being raised in a shade. They looked up and saw a pair of hands gripping on the sills of an open window. Jacobs climbed onto the ledge, hesitated there for a moment, and then hurled himself into the morning air. Oh my god, he died upon impact. Jesus. Uh, apparently, he had been drinking x-ray medication for a test, been acting erratically. So maybe he had mental illness or brain damage possibly. Like, back in those days, you really don't know what could have been going on. It could have been really anything. Uh, any sort of infection. There's lots of people that died of infections in the night in 1921. So, yeah, it's a good story. It's a fun little tale. Like, it was perfectly timed. Way to go, Idaho. Moving on. Got another hotel tale. This one out of Houston, Texas. And they have haunted hotspots. So Galveston Island may be known for its beaches, cruises, and booming tourism industry, but it is with also a place filled with a dark history. Considered by some to be one of the most haunted places in the U.S., Galveston is home to locals who share dozens of tales of the restless spirits of pirates, criminals, children, and others who said to stay over on the islands here at Galveston, supposedly haunted places. <laughs> so that's, that's all there is to it. There's pirates, there's criminals, and children. That's it. That's all we have. Oh my god. But let's talk about this hotel, Hotel Galzi. Now built in 1911, Hotel Galzi, which overlooks the Gulf of Mexico, is known as a hotspot for wealthy residents and celebrities, but has a more sinister past. According to reports years ago, a woman staying on the fifth floor hanged herself after learning her husband had been lost at sea. Oh my god. Her spirit dub, the lovelorn lady, is still causing commotions on the fifth floor. Will Wright, the chief creator officer for the Galveston Historic Foundation, said the hotel offers programming about its supposed haunted rooms. It definitely is a big piece of history, of lore. The woman's restrooms downstairs is also apparently haunted, with reports of shaking stalls, self-flushing toilets, and sinks turning on and off on their own. <laughs> oh my god. What is it with people killing themselves in hotels? This is unbelievable. We're going to move on from that one to this wine enthusiast article. I do hope it is much more pleasant. And from the wine enthusiast, it can't be that grim, right? Uh, do you believe in ghosts? Five of the world's most haunted bars. And they have the Mermaid Inn, the Grave Diggers in Dublin, Ireland, the Hero Waterloo in Australia, Shaker's Cigar Bar in Milwaukee. But we're going to go local here. On the prairies, Bushwhacker Pub in Regina, Canada. After it received a liquor license in 1990, Bushwhackers opened its doors the next year. It became a well-known spot to have a pint, enjoy a daily special, and possibly spot a ghost just like that, eh? So back in 1912, Regina was hit by one of the country's worst ever recorded tornadoes. It killed 28 people and leveled buildings, which included one on a site where the pub is now. There are several people that died then. And in 1914, Strathton was hired to manage a warehouse built on the land where the people have died. 
Now Stratham was in a car accident. Well, he survived, he sustained head injuries. And according to the Brew Pub's website, he never quite was the same. His business partner soon tried to pressure him out of his position and his wife wanted to move back to Scotland. He was said to have fallen into a deep depression and was found dead several months later. Oh my God. The official cause of death was suicide. This isn't a happier article at all. One of the bar's managers believes she saw someone walk into the bushwhacker room for a private function. She followed them to say they couldn't go back there, but she opened the door. No one was inside and there was only exit was sealed and shut. Oh my gosh. Michael, the brew pub's head brewer, experienced possibly one of the most dramatic ghost encounters. One day, on break, Gazet says he was pushing, he was pushed from behind so forcefully that he nearly fell. Later, he said he found a red mark on his back where he felt like he had been pushed. Oh my god, this is poltergeist activity. That's, a, that's another uh, fun little ghost tale. I checked out the website for this bar in Regina. It looks like an awesome place. It looks like one of those fun little microbreweries. They make mead. They have black and tan. So Regina, you know, it is not far from the heart of the prairies where the studio is. Definitely might one day check it out. We'll definitely put it on the list. You know, Regina is not that far. I mean, I wouldn't drive all the way there just for a pint, but if I were to go out that way, I definitely would stop there in Regina and check it out. So yeah, if you're looking for a spooky spot for Halloween night, I guess you know where to go if you're in Regina. Move on though. So maybe you are looking for a spooky spot and you're not in Canada, you're not in Regina, you're not in America. Maybe you're in the UK. So we've done haunted bars, we've done haunted hotels. This is a business insider out of Australia. 11 haunted forests around the world that will give you chills. And of course, there's a whole bunch. There's like the suicide forest in Japan. There's the island of dolls, which they can burn that right down. But here's a story that I didn't really know too much about. The Hoya Baki Forest in Romania has a spooky clearing where nothing has ever grown. So there's more. This is very cool. It's like a UFO haunted forest type thing. You see these links between these sightings. So when I hear about something like this, where there's an area that nothing grows, I wonder if there might be some sort of aerosol from some sort of microorganism like fungus living under the ground that prevents anything from growing, or maybe the area was treated with radiation. I don't know, but it is very cool. Check it out. It's a good article. So we've done hotels, we've done pubs, we've done forests. What could be next? We've covered everything, right? There's no more places where ghosts could be. Well, how about this? This is from the Scotsman. News you can trust since 1817. 13 allegedly haunted castles in Scotland and the ghosts spotted there. Oh my God, castles. They make, you know what? Sightings in Scotland ghost sightings in Scotland, ghost sightings in the UK make ghost sightings in America look look just lame. We got like some pubs, we got like some fields, we got some forests, that's about it. Hotels, they have castles. So the castle I'm going to bring up is Glamis Castle in Angus. Now Glamis Castle is reputed to be the most haunted castle in Scotland 
and hides many dark family secrets. Many rooms have spooky tales, including the hangman's chambers believed to be where a butler once hung himself and several ghosts are thought to reside here, including the monster of Glamis, the Grey Lady, the Tongueless Woman, and the Earl Beardy. Oh my god. It sounds it sounds like that's the back of a horror movie box. Come stay at the Castle Glamis and meet the monster Glamis. No thank you. We will not be staying there. So we're going to stick with the UK for a little bit here for the next story at least. Lincolnshire Live. Paranormal investigator links ghostly apparition on A15 to a medieval order of warrior monks. Interesting. Very interesting. It sounds like this you know, mystery has been solved. A paranormal investigator says he believes there are strong connections between ghostly apparitions on the A15 North of Shelford and a community of medieval soldier monks. Thomas Warrington's debut book focuses on his and other people's experiences of otherworldly phenomenon with locations including Stonebow in Gull Hall in Lincoln, Hoverholm, priority near Sealfield Fort and the Knights Templar Precursorary and Templar and Temple Buer. The most well-known is driver seeing a white shape that turns into a man with a pitted face and curly black hair with his arms raised before he fades into a mist. Now, Mr. Warrington, who lives in Shelford, shared his theories that the sightings are linked to the mystical order of the Knights Templar. Ooh, crazy. Again, let's let's not jump to too many conclusions. First, let's prove that apparitions exist, that there are ghosts. Let's first let's prove on that. Not that they're from the Knights Templar. There is a media frenzy in the 19, uh, 1990s. One guy called into Rich Maddell's show saying he saw the same apparition. I got in contact with one of them, main witnesses, who saw the face approach and then disappear. The precipitory at the Templar Bureau was not far where people are seeing these apparitions. The Knights Templar built it on crossing ley lines, which are supposedly to be Earth's mystical forces and some people believe that they are highways for the spirit. Now, ley lines, we haven't even had a chance to talk about ley lines. Ley lines are very interesting. They're supposed to be, yeah, they're supposed to be mystical conduits of energy that cross along the earth. And when you have crossing ley lines, you have energy sources. So I took a compass there and placed it on the floor and it went crazy. <laughs> well, let's see video of that. Let's see the compass. Where's that? The article goes on and on about other haunted places. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a promotion for this guy's book, which isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. Um, the article ends like this, though. It's the stone tape theory. Uh, certain buildings are made of quartz, and there's that possibility that they can record human emotion. All right. So he believes in ley lines. He believes in crystals. He believes in the stone tape theory. In most cases, the ghost or apparitions are unaware of someone looking on. Uh, just like a recording on a cassette wears out a lot of people see apparitions that are losing color and fading as time goes on and on. A lot of people hear only footsteps. Very, That's a very interesting phenomenon, idea, that there is this stone tape theory where things get recorded and just get played over and over and over again but there's no way 
any sort of craziness like that has ever been proven at all. The idea that people get people's energy. First off, that people have a ghost and it gets trapped in a cycle that happens over and over and over again every night or every day or every week, whatever it is, is really perplexing. The fact that they would stick on this earth, be affected by the earth's gravity so that it would stay in the location that it's in, very interesting. But yeah, I'm going to keep moving on. This article uh, is uh, this article is something else. Hall Media, who predicted own heart attack, spies mysterious figure in new home. And now I'm looking at the window and I don't even know what is going on. I can't see anything. So uh, Ness Hewton, known as Nettie, is a, fa- is a former NHS first responder worker turned local media at Yield White Heart Pub, the other venues across the hall. Uh, last week, she was in her hall garden when she took a picture of the back of our house, which is currently undergoing refurbishment. Days later, she went back to the photograph and found what she describes as a mysterious shadow. Ness stopped her medium work for three years to become a paramedic. So I guess you can just stop being a psychic. You can just shut it off. I thought it was like always on. I thought if you were a psychic, you could always do psychic readings and you couldn't stop it. It was just like a thing that you did. I've always been a real estate agent, a letting agent as well. I decided a career change was called for, so I embarked it on a path to become a paramedic. I have worked in ambulances as a first responder and absolutely loved it. This girl needs to slow down. It's no wonder she had a heart attack. She's doing a, a hundred things at once. I predicted my own heart attack over a year ago. I was completely fit and well, and then suddenly, weeks later, was a major surgery uh, like I don't think people predicting their own heart attacks is that uh, like I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal I think you know it's coming you can sort of feel it like it not feel it but I think some people especially someone like that who's very young who's doing like a hundred things maybe she's if she's getting into the paramedic field she knows how to trigger heart attacks or she knows the signs maybe she's been having signs of a heart attack little heart attack so she's saying like I'm going to have a heart attack following her surgery recovery Ness says she'll be making a massive return to her immediate work wondering if she'll see the mysterious window figure again and again I don't see anything in this I don't see anything in this window this is a this is an R this is a weird article it's a garbage article it looks like it's just a promotion for this psychic to be coming back one of the comments one of the comments says the standard of hall journalism ladies and gentlemen <laughs> so just just this garbage article uh, there's a, actually this this comment is pretty good uh, <laughs> I used to be a medium but during the lockdown I'm now an extra large <laughs> uh, this article about this this promotion about this hall medium is garbage but that joke is worth it and that's why I put it in there, if you ask us for that joke. I used to be medium, but during the lockdown, I became an extra large. Zing! Alright, folks, this is it. This is where we get to some Lake Monster lore. Some, not, no, not Lake Monster lore. Some Lake Monster sightings. Odd Waves, or Ogopogo. Calgary resident captures weird waves on Okanagan Lake. Yes. 
our boy is back. The Ogopogo monster? Not much. I didn't realize there was all these sightings, but here we go. It could be an odd wave, or it could be the Okanagan Lake mythical monster Ogopogo. After capturing a undetermined sighting this past holiday weekend, Adam believes it was the latter. On a brief Thanksgiving getaway with his family in West Kelowna, the Calgary resident recorded the unknown sighting from the shore of the Okanagan Lake. That's a nice job, great camera work, great, great getting your camera out. I know how hard it is to do that. We're just hanging out on the shore, Andrew says, from Calgary on Tuesday. It was a really calm day and no boats were passing or anything. We were looking out of the water and all of a sudden we saw this weird formation of waves that were kind of going against the current of what was coming in. Andrew said that they watched the waves, which were moving really weird, for about 30 seconds before starting to record for another 30 seconds or so before they disappeared. He said they were quite familiar with the Okanagan Lake and having vacationed there in the region many times while growing up. He knows about the great myth Ogopogo. Andrew says, I definitely think there is something down there. I don't know if it's exactly what it is. All the statues and stuff make it look like, but I'm definitely interested to see what comes out of it. Now, Andrew said this is the first time ever seeing anything like this on the Okanagan Lake and that his upload earlier Tuesday to TikTok, which garnered thousands of views. This, this is what we see, the spread on social media, the social media that they use. Uh, nicely done. Good shot. An Okanagan resident who calls himself a ardent Ogopogo researcher show, was shown the video. The crazy thing is, right now, it's a turbulent time in the Okanagan Lake. Bill Steckett told Global News, You have cold water coming in from the surface, creating all kinds of co considerations. You have temperature differences. It could be a thermal wave or some kind. It could also be the light reflection off an actual crest of waves, but it could be a lot of things. So this expert thought, I don't think it's our friend. Sometimes waves are just waves. I know people get pictures of them on calm lakes and think, oh, there's something causing it. So yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I like how the, re the reporter did the research, asked a local Ogopogo expert, and he says, yeah, there's these waves coming in. There's these thermal waves that come in because of the time of year it is. But there is a better video from the global news where it shows these two guys that are just fishing for surgeon. They're blasting Pink Floyd and they have a video of this Ogopogo monster. And it's very, very awesome. Very Canadian because they're just, <laughs> they're just blasting music, fishing for sturgeon. And they're like, oh man, there's a lake monster over there. So that second video is actually a much better video of the Ogopogo monster. Now, we move all the way from Canada to China. Is this China's Loch Ness monster? Mountain caretaker is shocked to spot a mysterious beast lurking under a lake. Now a worker at a national park has filmed what he believed to be a famous lake monster in northeastern China. Eerie footage captured by the man shows a black round object floating on the surface of the Tanxi or Heaven Lake at the Cheng Bai Mountains in Jun province. Now where these mountains are is pretty much on the China uh, North Korean border. So it's definitely a place where a lot of people would not go. But I saw pictures of this. I went deep down a YouTube tunnel for this monster. And when I saw pictures of this area, oh my god, 
Heaven Lake? Yeah, it looks like a heaven. It is beautiful. Clear, clear, like clear blue water surrounded by mountains. Oh my God. I, it's one of those, it's one of those areas where you realize if we didn't have any war or anything like that, if we we're all cool with each other, there'd be lots of interesting places on the world we could go. The Alpine Lake is renowned for having a mysterious beast, the Chinese equivalent to the Loch Ness Monster, said to be first sighted nearly 60 years ago. And I got some footage of the early sightings, and the earlier sightings is kind of weird. We'll get to that later. Now, Zayu, who worked at the Changbi Mountain National Park, is a souvenir shop assistant for the past decade, said he saw unusual objects in the middle of the lake on Tuesday morning. And this guy has a dream job. I would love to be this guy. A souvenir assistant, and you get to work in that area all year long? For 10 years. You have a stable job for 10 years. He's also been documenting the area's weather with videos, which he shares daily on the Duwen, the Chinese equivalent of TikTok. Oh my god. So you see, there's this parallel that people are sharing this footage of lake monsters through TikTok. And it's their age group, right? His age is 28, and the kid that captured it was also pretty young too. Yesterday, I went to the Heaven Lake to film footage as usual. Uh, I didn't notice it at first, but I suddenly saw a black dot. The footage film from the viewing point platform is 500 meters up in the air above the lake shows a black circular object remaining still on the water surface. Now I looked at it. I when I saw the video, I couldn't see anything at all. They have pictures of it uh, further down the article that I saw. Oh yeah, there's a black object there. What it is, I don't know. Uh, the North Korean military would fish on the lake occasionally. The Chinese workers said, but. Visitors to the national park are strictly forbidden from entering the area. So maybe it's some sort of North Korean military fishing operation. <laughs> uh, rumors of the monster in Heaven Lake started in 1962, when an observer reported saw two of the monsters chasing each other in the water while using a telescope. And then I went deep, deep, deep down a YouTube and Wikipedia channel. So there was a film crew there on September 6, 2007, and they shot like a 20 minute long video of these uh, creatures in the water frolicking around. Uh, so I was able to find, I did some deep, deep diving down YouTube, down Wikipedia, and I actually finally was able to find the YouTube video. And it's a pretty funny YouTube video actually, because it is a Chinese news video footage of these, um, creatures in the lake but the overdub is an italian news agency and they have x-files music underplaying everything so it is quite the wild video <laughs> to say the least x-files music italian uh narrator and like chinese visuals <laughs> so it, it is the multiculturalism uh piece centerpiece of lake monsters in china so just a, a very interesting article for sure. So I want to add this on. It's kind of uh, sad news, but the Canadian magician skeptic, the amazing Randy, died at the age of 92. And I'm just going to read this from the CBC article. Uh, James Randy, the magician who later challenged spoonbenders, mind readers, and faith healers with such ferocity that he became regarded as one of the country's most foremost skeptics, has died. His foundation announced he was 92. The James Randi Educational Foundation confirmed the death, saying simply that the founder succumbed to age-related causes this Tuesday. That's too bad to hear. That's really uh, sad 
news to hear. I saw it this morning. It was like one of those things where you see that news article, you see that headline, and you're like, really? Wow. You know, you're not, it's one of those people that you're not expecting to hear die. It's just one of those people that you expect to live, to live forever. Uh, the article goes on to say, entertainer, genius, debunker, atheist, Randy was all of them. He began gaining attention not long after dropping out of high school to join the carnival. As the amazing Randy, he escaped from the lock coffin submerged in water and from a stray jacket as he dangled over the Niagara Falls. So his whole idea of debunking charlatans is like one of the tent poles for this channel. You know, like what he did with the spoon benders, what he did with the psychics, psychic surgery peoples, like his his whole role was dispatching charlatans in a community that is way too eager to believe a pretty smile and a confident answer. So he would take on people of uh, charlatans that have inserted themselves in positions of power. He would just take them on and say, no, what you're doing is a lie. Your spoon bending means nothing. Like, look, I can do spoon bending. I'm a magician. So he was one of the good people. He was one of the most amazing people. Uh, again, if there was a Mount Rushmore of interesting world, the amazing Randy is, is right there, top and center. The fact that he is Canadian too, you know, he's like one of those things where not many Canadians uh, find success on the world stage. I don't know what it is about us. We just aren't. Um, we just aren't as vocal about our own um, our own achievements and everything like that. I think we're too modest, really, to to get out there. But he did. He did. He did it. He got out there. He got out in front of everyone. And yeah, it is sad to see someone like that who was so influential in the world of debunking, demisting, uh, honesty. He is a figurehead of honesty. So, yeah, it's sad to see him go. And that will do it for this week for the Paranormal Roundup. I want to thank you all for listening. If there's a story that you think I should have talked about or you want to give me feedback, spiritofkenny at hotmail.com or Twitter at spiritofkenny. If you're listening to this and you want the audio presentation of it, just go to interestingworldvideo.blogspot.com. Go check it out there. It is a lovely day for a walk. We had our, of course, it is October. That means that we get have any sort of weather here on the prairies, and we had our snowfall just this week. So it is that year, that time of year, for the dirty snowball. And if you don't know what a dirty snowball is, it's a snowball that you make, and it has dirt and leaves and sticks all stuck in it. And when you throw it at someone, not only does it get them, you know, cold and sloppy, but it has dirt and sticks and leaves in it. So it, <laughs> there's all sorts of extra damage that can happen to them. It is it is the worst type of snowballs. You see the snowballs in movies and TV shows, and they're these perfect white balls of fluff, and they hit someone in the face. No, no, it's it's the October, the dirty snowballs from the lawns that haven't been raked up yet the twigs that are breaking and falling off the branches it's fun times for kids if there weren't you know they weren't forced to be six feet apart well actually it's perfect distance right you can throw dirty snowballs at everyone but you just might not be able to get back in your school well, i want to thank you all for listening it's been my honor to talk to you if you ever want to feel like you want to get a hold of me 
please do it. I can't wait to check out some of these YouTube channels that I was able to find. So here we go. All right, believers. Keep on believing.